I was wondering, is the laser like, is it a yang tonic? Like, how is it, right? How's it working? But it's not really warming, but I would say it's yang invigorating. You know, it's more of a neutral, like a shu duan or a du zong, if you're thinking herbal. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I want to start off today with a little quote from one of my favorite authors, Anne Lamont, author of Bird by Bird. Get this. I do not normally like to hang around people who talk about slow, conscious breathing. I start to worry that a nice, long discussion of aromatherapy is right around the corner. Thank you, Anne. I, too, get twitchy when someone suggests that I breathe in a certain way. Whenever I'm in a group of people and the person in the front of the room says, let's all take a nice, deep cleansing breath, I either want to punch them in the face or slither out the door, depending on the condition of my liturgy at the moment. And for me, this is annoying as hell because it actually really does help when I need to calm down and center to have a nice deep breath. Furthermore, I suspect perhaps the problem stems from that I hate it when people tell me to do something. And beyond that, when I attempt to use my thinking to bring attention to the breath, everything seems to go askew. So I get stuck in this sort of double bind where I know that attending to my breathing will be really helpful in unjacking my nervous system. But the problem is, when I'm feeling angry or frustrated, my thinking capacity is not particularly available. I've seen this with patients too. Sometimes they come in almost hyperventilating with something that has triggered them. And I've attempted to play the role of that nice person in front of the room, saying, take a nice deep, well, you know how that goes. Over time, I've discovered something about the breath and helping people to calm down, and I want to share this with you. See if it works, first in your own experience, and then see if it might be helpful to your patients. Sure, we can use our brain to control our breath, but our breath is fundamentally a kinesthetic experience. And when we're out of sorts, the brain has usually wrapped its recursive thought process around some dark, misguided star, and so it's not particularly available when we're in a pinch. How to get the brain back online? You don't. Try bypassing it instead. Forget about willpower and forget about conscious thought. These are in short supply anyway when we're upset. Instead of attempting to use cognition, try using physiology. Use the body's hardwired ability to sense itself. Here's how it's done. You simply take a hand, put it on the dantian, and then pay attention to how you can use your breath to cause the belly to push into the hand, causing it to float upwards. That's it. Let the belly float the hand. No brain work, no effort, no will, no struggle. Just let the breath float the hand. Try it yourself. Try it now so you know how it feels. Then remember to do it the next time that you're upset or stressed out. So long as you have a hand that you can put on your belly, you can do this. Use it as your secret weapon the next time you hear, your call is important to us, but blah, blah, blah. Or your spouse gives you that look. Or you're late and you just missed a light because that pokey person in front of you, yeah, they were busy texting. You can also use this with your patients. But don't take my word for it that it's helpful. Try it yourself. I like to have my patients put a hand on their belly and then I put mine on top of theirs so that I can also feel the quality of their breath. Some people who are locked down in their diaphragm, you'll feel it immediately. 
Some people have a kind of stuttery, ratchet-like feeling to their inhalation. You'll notice that too. Lots of people have no idea of how they breathe, but they will after just a few breaths when you teach them how to do this. Instead of that count to 10 or trying to conjure up your inner yoga teacher saying, take a nice deep cleansing breath, skip the mental noise, let the physiology simply self-regulate the breath by putting the hand on the belly and feeling the breath go into the hand. Let me know if you find this to be helpful. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to take a deep dive into the use of lasers in the acupuncture clinic. There is some fairly technical stuff here, and it might get a bit dense. You might want to pull out a paper and a pencil to take some notes. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. 
Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I've got Lauren Brown with me again today. If you're a regular listener to Geological, you'll know he was on show way back in the beginning. Show number six, we we're talking about business. Today, Lauren and I are going to be talking about lasers. Now, y'all probably know the name Lauren Brown. If you don't, he's done a couple of things in our profession. He is the founder of the AccuBalance Wellness Center. He runs healthy seminars. He has an integrative fertility symposium. He's the author of the book, fabulous book, Missing the Point. Man, I got no idea how you managed to find time to sleep. Lauren, welcome back to Geological. Michael, thank you very much for having me back. I'm glad to uh, be on your show again, and uh, I've been enjoying your show and listening to some of the other speakers as well, so great job on doing that. Thanks. I feel like I'm in such a privileged position that I get to talk to so many brilliant practitioners, some some of whom you've probably heard of, and some, they're just busy in their clinic. You've never heard of them, but they're doing amazing things. Agreed. So originally when I was talking with Lauren about lasers, he was just beginning to get into them himself. And before he had too much to say about it, he wanted to go and research and educate himself and, you know, in typical Lauren Brown fashion, going deep into the thing before he actually brings it out to talk about it. So Lauren, you've been using these for a little while in your clinic now, but before we get into the actual uses of these things, I'm curious to know what caught your attention about lasers in the first place and then what followed after that i found lasers and it was kind of by i would say an accident my practice has a a focus on treating infertility i came across a paper where they used um, laser acupuncture so they're using a laser over acupuncture points for a uh, protocol that had been researched with needles There was a group that just had laser. There was a group that had traditional acupuncture, so the needles at those points. There was a sham laser, so neither the doctor nor the patient knew. So the laser would turn on, but it wasn't really working. And then they had their their control group. And the laser group had an increase in implantation. So that caught my attention. I want to do anything I can for my fertility patients, those that are going through in vitro fertilization. So I spoke to the uh, one of the reproductive endocrinologists involved in the study. I talked to um, one of the acupuncturists um, that he works with that also was familiar with the, the study. And then I bought the, that laser so I could do that protocol on the day of transfer like they did to do my best to replicate that 15% increase in implantation. This is back now. 2008-ish, 2009. And I had the laser and we were using it without really understanding what lasers do. I just, that's how I got into it. 
And we played with the laser and, you know, I'd read a little bit. I did, as you call it, that deep dive. What happened is I was researching for a good friend of mine information on concussion. A good buddy of mine had a concussion. He was really struggling. And I bought the book um, by Norman Deutsch called The Brain's Way of Healing. Man, that's a great book. Great book, right? And so while I was reading that book, chapter four talks about photobiomodulation, also known as low-level laser therapy, um, LLT. And Dr. Fred Kahn, who uh, used to be a vascular surgeon, tells his story how he had a, he tore up his shoulder and he didn't want to do surgery as being a vascular surgeon. Interesting. He says, I know what we do in there. I don't want to have surgery. Um, <laughs> and uh, he um, went on and had a colleague that had an old Russian laser and the laser cured his shoulder. An old, wait a minute, wait a minute, an old Russian laser. Well, yeah, he was a, was a laser from Russia. This guy was from Russia practicing <laughs> in Canada and States, and uh, that's what he had. You know, and a therapeutic laser, not a laser that would cut. You know, we'll talk about that later, but a therapeutic laser, a non-heating laser, so in the right power wavelength where you're not going to damage the tissue, and he had a recovery. In that chapter on using low-level laser therapy, where he talks about brain injuries and, and other neurological diseases, he talks about a patient that had a neurological disease that also had endometriosis and how anecdotally he had treated several patients um, that were no longer needing surgery and their pain would go away. And that caught my attention because I had already had a laser for, I was using for IVF transfer days. And now I'm learning about this laser and how he uses a laser for endometriosis so I went and visited Fred Kahn, um, spent a day with him, shouted him, and I just started digging and researching. And I, I picked up uh, a couple more lasers. These were, they're expensive toys. So back in 2008, those lasers I have, which I have right now, three, I have four of them, they're about um, close to 6,000 US dollars each. And then I picked up six lasers that are about uh, 17,000 US dollars each. And I just started going to lectures and interviewing some brilliant minds like um, Michael Hamlin from Harvard, um, James Carroll, who, um, who's the uh, engineer and the owner, uh, founder of Thor, and uh, Roberta Chow out of Australia. She's a medical doctor, PhD, and an acupuncturist who got published in The Lancet using laser for uh, neck pain. And so I just started talking to colleagues. I, I have my laser and I asked, what's one of the... Uh, weirdest things that you're surprised your laser can help with and he said i got two for you and he said one is um interstitial cystitis he said that was quite phenomenal how it helped with inflammation and pain in just a couple of treatments and he said he helped a woman with uh, an ovarian cyst now i'm really peaked i look at the mechanism and i see how this could really relate to fertility especially the mechanism behind mitochondrial function how it can improve that because a lot of the a quality surrounded around mitochondrial function that's like the powerhouse of the uh of the cell the battery of the cell in some of my searching through google i came across uh, dr shira out of japan and he's a medical doctor and he shares um, some research that they did using it in an ivf setting and how they had improved pregnancy outcomes for this what translating to english as severe infertility so really poor case scenarios, poor prognosis scenarios based on age, based on history of assisted reproductive uh, therapy, like failed cycles. And uh, they were uh, pleasantly surprised how 
this group did well or much better than expected with their laser treatment. And so that's how it, it all started. And, you know, fast forward to 2019, it was December 2018, I interviewed a clinic that's worked with Oshiro in Japan, but this clinic is using the laser in an IVF setting, and they have some research that's not available in English. And I got an interpreter, <laughs> a translator, and uh, I interviewed the acupuncturist that's using acupuncture, moxa, and photobiomodulation, also known as low-level laser therapy. And he shared the data and how they're improving blastocysts and pregnancy rates. This is what we're pioneering in our clinic here at Acubalance in Vancouver. And at the time of this interview, we have one study design in at uh, ethics using it for frozen embryo transfer. So can it improve uterine receptivity? And we have another one that's not been, hasn't been submitted yet because it's a protocol that I'm creating um, that I'm testing out at the clinic at this time. And that will be for egg quality. So it will be um, these before they freeze their embryos. Can we get more chromosomally normal embryos because of the intervention of laser acupuncture. So that's kind of how I fell into the deep dive. And I have to tell you, Michael, uh, you can talk to my family, talk to my friends and talk to my associates here. The reading, I, I, I love it. I just can't stop reading about it. I find it interesting. The mechanism makes so much sense of why it can treat so many different things or help treat so many different things. And um, it's non-invasive and safe, like anything we use properly. I'm just drawn to it. So it's a lot of time, but it doesn't feel like work for me. It does feel like play. And I love reading the literature. I love interviewing people that have experience with lasers, finding out how they're using it, talking to the engineers behind these lasers. And uh, I've even talked to people about designing a laser, how I want to use it in my practice, you know, at that stage. So it's, it's been a, it's been joy. I'm learning it. It gives me a lot of confidence and my patients are having some good uh, results and therefore feedback from it. And I think they love just my excitement and curiosity in the room with it because it has been a lot of fun using this with acupuncture herbal diet. Like there is no magic bullet. I haven't discovered a magic bullet. So it's something that uh, for the most part, I'm using other things in our practice of Chinese medicine. It's just another tool that I'm putting into my, into my clinical practice. Well, I don't think there is a magic bullet. I mean, if Chinese medicine is telling us anything, it's that each situation is a bit different. Pay attention to what it needs. Give it what it needs. I mean, there's a lot of things that overlap, but in terms of one size fits all, maybe not. No, there is no magic bullet. The human being is complex. There's the, the spiritual side, the mental, emotional, the physical side. And from what we learned from Chinese medicine, um, you know, diet and lifestyle, these are the things that are going to really impact the body you know, to simplify it or summarize it, we know that the body has this innate ability to heal. It has this ability to self-regulate. What we call balance to me is like this, the autonomic nervous system imbalance. The body, when it has its ability to self-regulate, when it gets thrown out of balance, so when there's an insult, um, it finds its way back to that homeostasis, that, that balance. Yeah. And that balance may not be the best balance, but it's, it's dialed in enough for the homeostasis to go, we can work with this. Well, if you, you're going to get thrown off, but you, within days, weeks, you come back to, to a nice equilibrium. If you lose that capacity to self-regulate, then you have dis-ease and, and chronic health issues. And so we've got onto this topic because it's how you think, how you sleep, how you exercise, rest, what you eat, all those things which seem 
so irrelevant or uh, non-impactful, they're small things that have massive results over time and major compounding. So the laser is a great tool to help push people back into that self-regulating. But you need to have the diet, the lifestyle, the sleep, all those diet lifestyle aspects have to be in place. And then your meditative, your qigong, your, your mental health, because these thoughts can impact your health. And so it is not the it is not a magic bullet. Um, however, it is an incredible tool um, that I think um, practitioners would enjoy having in their clinic. I certainly have. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind, and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do Channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the Jump to Free Teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Anne Cecil Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Let's dig into some of this tool aspect. I've got I've got some questions, and, and the first is, you mentioned that there's a mechanism, there's a biological mechanism that you see these lasers working with. I'd like to know a little more about that. Well, you know, the main mechanism, because there are several, and the one that's most popular when it comes to photobiomodulation. And so I will, I, I know I have, um, there's people listening to this that have much more knowledge and experience with uh, using uh, photobiomodulation than I do. I'm going to focus on one of the main mechanisms, but I'm aware that there are several mechanisms. Um, but the main one is how, when the light gets absorbed um, in the cell, um, cytochrome C, so how this uh, chromophore absorbs the light and this through the electron transport cycle impacts the mitochondria. And so really, the, one of the, the main things behind um, photobiomodulation is its ability to kind of rejuvenate cells. So when cells have been injured, stressed, worn out through age, and we're able to recharge, rejuvenate them through light, then they start to do what they're supposed to do and replicate, hence accelerate healing, um, and, and that's a, that to me is a, a, one of the most beautiful mechanisms behind this is giving the cells the energy. Look, we talk about qi all the time in Chinese medicine. So, so it gain its function. And so we are made up of trillions of cells. And so if you can help those uh, injured cells uh, regain their vigor, regain their function, which a big part of that is through mitochondria health, then you're going to see that self, that innate healing, that self-regulating um, ability to come back online, and that's why it's used a lot um, for wound healing and 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 tissue damage for that repair. 
And there are other mechanisms. I'll, I'll say some briefly here, just but th- that's one I'm excited about, especially for fertility. But it's been shown to increase blood flow. It regulates inflammation. Um, cert- the laser, ins- um, based on where you're using it, can help um, regulate the autonomic nervous system, can help repair nerves, angiogenesis. So again, increase uh, capillary uh, beds. So you got increased blood flow. You got regulation of inflammation, modulation of the immune system, um, regulation of the, of the autonomic nervous system it has an analgesic effect as well. So it can act like a neural block. So you can help with just um, stopping pain, soften scar tissue and adhesions. So when you start to think of those things, you know, when you have damaged tissue and you can bring blood to the area, so you can bring more healing, more oxygen, nutrients to the healing to give the cell the ability to repair, replicate, to recharge that battery, the mitochondria, massive, to bring down that inflammation, which will support the environment for the, for the cell to heal, as well as bring down that pain. So those are kind of some of the interesting mechanisms behind this. And uh, I think there's um, well, three to 4,000 uh, studies now published at this time for in vitro, and then there's well over 500 um, human-controlled trials as well. So there's a huge impact on fertility is what I'm hearing. I will say that the evidence isn't there yet, in my opinion. The mechanism makes sense, and there is some data out there, but it is not robust of improving fertility and treating endometriosis. So I will share that. The mechanism's there, and the issue is it's been great you know, for fertility. You want to regulate that inflammation. Why? If you have this chronic systemic inflammation, that leads to accelerated biological aging. That's not great because fertility is related to age. So we want to get you biologically you're, uh, young. The key here, the issue, the challenge I've been having is how do we get the light to the ovaries? Because it, it has to go through the skin and to reach the ovaries. And that's deep. And there's only so much the wavelength can get down there based on certain wavelengths that are going to be beneficial to the mitochondria. So it's a real challenge to get the light to the ovaries. Increasing blood flow throughout the body, regulating inflammation, the stem cell proliferation, which has also been shown to do, that you can do systemically. Getting the light to the ovaries has been my big question. I've spoken to some uh, reproductive endocrinologists. They have ideas like getting a probe created with light that um, they can go intravaginally and then just point it to the ovaries because that's how they go to get the eggs in an in vitro fertilization. When they do an egg pickup or retrieval, they go through the vagina and puncture the vaginal wall because the ovaries right there and they grab the follicles. So the idea is how about getting a probe made that can go intravaginally so you can just point it to the, the vaginal wall um, so you're much closer to the ovary. What we're doing now is we have a series. So I've created, we haven't named it yet, but it'll be some type of brown laser baby fertility uh, technique because we have a series of places of using LEDs and lasers throughout the body to regulate inflammation, increase blood flow. And to get that light to the ovaries, you know, you can use a probe and push it on the abdomen over the ovaries and go as deep as you can because the deeper, this is my, you know, you don't have a visual. So if you have the probe on the skin and it's just touching the skin, it's a further distance than if you push the probe into the skin and get it closer to the ovary because distance is a factor. And then blood, tissue, fat, all these tissues that are in the way will absorb it. So it's really challenging to get the light to the ovaries. But the mechanism makes sense. But the delivery is still a big challenge. And so we're playing with, we're really, this is where people have been, where's your study? Where's your, why haven't you done this yet? And I've been playing with this technique, this protocol 
and I've been talking to several laser companies because I've been looking at which device, you know, now that I know what I want, do you have a device that does this? Do you have a device that has this many diodes on, on your head, a cluster head or a shower head? Do you have, does it have this wavelength? Does it have this power? But I think the future will be, um, that it will probably be done intravaginally. Um, I think that will be the most efficient way to do it. Um, or somebody may make a device like that. And currently now we're using it on the carotid, the vertebral arteries, the stella ganglia. We're doing it on the nerve roots, so the patojaji points um, that will go and innervate the ovaries in the uterus. We're doing it locally over the ovaries. So we're doing microbiome stuff. So we're doing a lot of interesting things in our clinic um, at AccuBalance here to help optimize the egg quality. And I will repeat, the mechanism to me makes great sense. The evidence isn't there, but there's um, uh, Japan has some data, so there's there's data coming out. There's a mouse study that came out in 2018 that showed some uh, um, positive uh, data for uh, using the laser on the ovaries. Uh, Denmark, not a study, but it was a self-reporting audit where clinics with their laser shared what they were doing for fertility, which was quite optimistic and positive, but what they're shared. In our clinic, we did a, a retrospective observational analysis looking at our patients who had frozen embryo transfers of genetically screened embryos. So we knew that they were, um, sorry, chromosomally screened embryos. So we knew they were chromosomally normal transferred. And they compared those that had acubalance treatments. So a series of acupuncture with laser leading up to transfer plus acupuncture laser on transfer day to those that had no acupuncture treatment on transfer day. And the group that had the acubalance treatments had a higher pregnancy rate, lower miscarriage rate. So we were looking at uterine receptivity here in this case because they were already uh, screened and this was just, are we helping with uh, uterine receptivity? But it was neat when we looked further into the data, it showed the dosage. So those that had seven or more treatments leading up to the transfer had the, the best results. Because I know you and I and other people have talked about dosage and so many people do research on just using acupuncture on transfer day. I think we're realizing that's not enough. You're likely not going to see the benefit, but having a series of treatments, which is what we see clinically, is where you see the benefit. And that's what we saw. It wasn't a study. It was just they wanted to look at two years worth of data. And that's what they observed, that there was a higher pregnancy rate, lower miscarriage rate for frozen embryo transfers that had been chromosomally screened to be normal. Um, so we took out the variable that they wouldn't implant because they're abnormal and uh, aneuploidy embryos. We took those out. And again, those that had a series of treatments leading up to transfer day plus on transfer day, and we do a combination of traditional acupuncture with laser acupuncture, that group had a higher pregnancy rate, lower miscarriage rate. There's data. It's just not robust. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you are laying the groundwork for some really interesting research, especially in the field of fertility. I'd like to shift just a little bit and talk about lasers like, you know, for general use. You mentioned that they can be helpful for nerve issues, for damaged tissue, uh, inflammation. I'm curious to know about the mechanism that helps to reduce inflammation. Ooh. You want to go really deep now, eh? Really go into the cellular biology. <laughs> All right. This well, one. why not? I mean, <laughs> this is a podcast that goes deep and geeky into medicine, right? <laughs> right, right. Let's dive. Let's dive. All right. Well, I may have to pull out some of my notes here because if I could show you a picture of the diagram, you would sit there and go, what the heck, right? It does regulate um, 
some of the inflammatory mar- markers. So what they have observed, and again, this is me being the clinician, the practitioner, this information is being fed to me. I haven't done this research. The more I study, the more I learn, the more I know I don't know, right? And oh, so isn't that the truth? Ugh. Somebody called me an expert in uh, photobiomodulation, which I would never think of myself, but I guess it's relative, right? So when you're talking to somebody that doesn't know m- much about it, you come across as a uh, as an expert. But they looked at the inflammatory mediators and how it impacts macrophages and lymphocytes and neutrophils. And so this is a big part of the, of, of the mechanism of how it's regulating inflammation. So basically, in a nutshell, it will upregulate pro-anti-inflammatory markers um, and it down-regulates pro-inflammatory markers. So that's how it affects inflammation. It's just what it's doing on a cellular level. From the mitochondrial function, just going back to that, when you have damaged uh, cells, uh, tissues, stressed out tissues, what ends up happening is, um, and why the laser, you know, going now to the cellular biology, and again, I'll do my best to get this as, as accurate as I understand it, right? Because there's a level that it's nice to know this, but I don't think it will impact how you treat in clinic. But basically, in this process, these mitochondria, when they become stressed out and not functioning, they become stagnant, the cells. You ever heard of that term? You know, it's stagnant. This is from, the, you know, we know this. So think of the cell being stagnant, right? Um, James Carroll used the term once constipated, like the cells, like the mitochondria is constipated. To me, it's like it's stagnant. What's happening is nitric oxide gets bound um, to these heme molecules. And so you get more free radical and oxidative stress happening in the cell these leak out and this leads to inflammation. So this is kind of part of that infl- inflammatory process, the way I'm understanding it from going into the literature and reading it. And the light dislodges the nitric oxide and therefore allows the molecule, the oxygen, to go through the, the electron transport and um, increase ATP production. Wow. Relieve stagnation, move the chi. It's isn't that brilliant? So what's happening is the light moves chi, and so people say, like I always thinking, how's this working from a Chinese medicine perspective? Because I'm using non-thermal lasers. So our the lasers I have in our clinic, the highest power is 500 milliwatts. We can adjust the power and the wavelengths we're using. So they're non they're non ionizing. So they're not um, ionizing wavelengths that can cause cellular damage, cancer, damage to tissue. They're therapeutic lasers. They're um, non-ionizing. And then the power is low enough that it's a, a non-heating. It won't burn you. Like you can, um, higher power, you need to move the laser regularly. You can burn the skin, the tissue, and these won't. I was wondering, is the laser like, is it a yang tonic? Like, how is it, right? How's it working? But it's not really warming. But I would say it's yang invigorating. You know, it's more of a neutral, like a shuduan or a duzong, if you're thinking herbal, right? And, you know, you can have chi stagnation from a blockage. So chi is stagnant. But chi and blood can stagnate because there's not enough chi from chi deficiency. And so if you can increase the chi, increase the kidney, the spleen energy, then the blood, uh, the chi moves again and then the blood moves. So I think a lot of the mechanism, if you want to uh, reframe it into Chinese medicine, and this is just thinking, us talking, geeking out, is I believe it's invigorating the yang. Um, with minimal heat, because people say, what about somebody's yin deficiency? I don't know, right? We haven't seen enough people with somebody's severely yin deficiency, but I don't see this as a, I don't think this is futsu or rogue way or bugujur. Like, I don't think this is a, a warming agent. I think this is a yang invigorating, and that's why it increases the blood flow. And we're putting more chi into the cell, and therefore the cell regains its vigor. So that, that's the mechanism behind that. And 
again, from the biology behind it, it's, um, you asked how the inflammation, it downregulates pro-inflammatory and upregulates anti-inflammatory mechanisms, molecules. And uh, from the mitochondria health, if your mitochondria are sluggish or constipated, then you get um, free radical buildup and, and that results into inflammation. And then if you dislodge the nitric oxide right there, that creates some vasodilation, so increase in blood flow, but it frees up the, the molecules so it can go through its process to create ATP, the energy. And therefore, right. there's your chi right there. And there's less oxidative stress, and therefore, you don't have that inflammation and pain and damage to the tissue. Hi, Eric here again. I hope you're enjoying the conversation in this podcast. I've been working with Dao Labs, which is a Chinese herbal medicine company that's taking a modern approach to herbal formulas. We take classic formulas like Xiao Yao San, Gui Pi Tang, Bao Huo Wan, Su Wu Tang, and others and pair them with flavors and other ingredients and package them in convenient formats so the patient just adds water and drinks. Taste can be a major obstacle in consuming herbal decoctions for American patients. Our palates are just too corrupted by the large amount of sugar in our diet. But the flavor of herbal formulas is important, and I've had many teachers in China ask their patients about whether they like the taste of their brews. One of my partners at Dao Labs is a cook with more than a decade of experience in the restaurant world. So like Yin and Tang Yejin, we work together to develop flavors that work with the formula, not to overpower it or mask it and make the overall experience more accessible, more pleasurable to the patient. We think it's a great way to bring American patients into the world of Chinese herbal medicine. Simply visit mydialabs.com forward slash sample, or just go to the show notes page to learn more about how Dao Labs can be part of your practice and to request samples. Now let's go back to the rest of today's conversation. You had mentioned that it was helpful in reducing pain and lesions with endometriosis because, because it helps get rid of the inflammation and it moves substance and it moves chi. Are there other kinds of accumulations like certain cancers that might respond to this? So from a safety perspective, right now they say don't put it on, on cancer. Don't put it over. For us, you wouldn't put it over cancer. They do use it in, in cancer patients, especially for people going. There's a recent study for, you know, the, mu- the mucosa where they, they get all the canker sores and stuff. So there is using the photobiomodulation to help treat that. I do know through my travels of lecturing, I've gone to conferences and I see medical doctors where they're also acupuncturists using lasers and just medical doctors that are using lasers and there are some that are using it in cancer, but they're going into the body. They're using fiber optic tubes with uh, light and they're going into the actual tumors. And this is so outside our scope and this is so early on. So I would just say I wouldn't use it on a cancer. I think prophylactically and health-wise, um, the benefit of, of the laser could possibly have some form of prevention um, for it. But um, it's outside of my wheelhouse, my scope. At this time, I haven't treated anybody with cancer, and I would not put it on cancer. There's lots of – I've read papers on it, and you can see both sides of the, of the discussion. I think more and more they are starting to use it in certain cancers, but as uh, Chinese medicine practitioners and I will share some neat things though. Like you want to know about other things you're treating. Like it's been well known, well for a while now. They use it for uh, wound healing, uh, so superficials. Um, that's where it kind of really started. Um, so burns and cuts and stuff like that. Um, that's been uh, used for a while. Um, acne, some skin stuff. 
there are some of the newer things that it's being used for is neurological conditions. So dementia and Alzheimer's, that's quite new. Uh, when I interviewed um, Michael Hamlin um, from Harvard and uh, Lou Lim from another uh, laser company that's doing some of that research, it was quite interesting to see that there's early stages, they're seeing some positive outcomes from using the laser. What are they actually treating when they're doing that? So it can go through the bone. And I actually use this on myself. So they're, they're putting it on several places around the, uh, on the head. So they're treating, they're getting the light to the brain. I actually use it on my forehead, on my prefrontal cortex quite a bit, on sometimes three times a week. I'll use an array. I'm not using the laser for that. I'm using, I have, um, sorry, I, I call it an array because the array has LED lights. So I use LED lights quite often um, as part of my, my treatment on my head. You can use laser as well. And again, wavelength matters, power matters. Yeah, I'm curious to know, LED, laser, how are they different? You know, the wavelength can be the same, but they're different on um, how it gets emitted. And so they're both monochromatic is what you want. So you're not talking about the LEDs that, you know, um, that are in, you can get LED lights. I'm not talking that. So LED is a type of um, device, but what kind of wavelength is it giving? And is it monochromatic? Um, and so monochromatic is one color, one wavelength, right? Versus um, your LED in your house, which is white light and has, contains several wavelengths. Oh, yeah, I can get like 16.4 million colors out of my LED lights here at home. Yeah, and these would be just, the LED would be emitting one monochromatic, one uh, one wavelength with a, a bit of variation. Laser would have less of a variation. And the main difference between the laser and the LED would be coherence. So it, uh, LEDs would be non-coherent and um, lasers are coherent. Now, in the industry, there's arguments whether that makes a, a major difference. So those that produce LEDs will say no, <laughs> and some say lasers are better. And uh, I will say you can go deeper with a laser um, usually than you can with an LED. So LEDs are great on the surface for that systemic irradiating the blood. You know, you got stuff on the hand, the ankle. They're great. I think if you're going to want to get a therapeutic light to deeper tissues like the ovary, my hip, stuff like that, you're probably going to want to use a laser going well beyond what I think our scope of our discussion is and even my my depth of knowledge. But with the coherent light with lasers, there's a speckle effect that happens and uh, I don't understand it enough. I don't know how many people do understand this to a great level, but that seems to have a, a, a very good benefit, which you won't get from LEDs. At the end of the day, wavelength matters. It's the wavelength that's going to help determine depth of penetration. Power will help with that as well. But wavelength is key. It's, it's the certain wavelengths will have a certain impact on the tissue. So that means that different colors are going to have different impacts. Is that correct? It is. Now, have you ever heard of something about colors in a certain medicine that has different impact? Like, can you imagine we have channels that have different colors, right? Our five element theory. So yes, it's quite interesting because in the photobiomodulation field, usually they're using red or infrared light. That's the wavelength spectrum they're using. 600 to 1,000 is most common um, that they're using. The most popular is like around 660 for red. You can see it. Um, and then in the uh, 800s is what they're using for the infrared. You wouldn't be able to see that. 
um, that kind of light. And the different wavelengths, different uh, tissue absorb it better, has a different impact. But if you're using in the 600s or in the 800s, um, you should be getting the therapeutic effect that you're seeing a lot of the research on some of the uh, laser companies. And again, this is in Europe. I don't see it much in North America. Um, they're doing it intravenously, the light. So they're zapping the blood. And I, I've heard of using yellow light, for example, for Lyme disease. Um, so on the wavelength for blue, for example, is very uh, superficial. It's not going to go beyond the skin. So, and it seems to have maybe an antiviral antibacterial effect. So they're often using that for skin wounds and for acne, for example. Red will go a little bit deeper into the, to the skin and then infrared will go deeper. And so you, you know, if you're wanting to get deeper into the body, you're going to want to use um, the wavelength of, of infrared and, you know, 808 up to 905 are common. And um, a lot of the research is around 808, 810 and 830 nanometers is the wavelengths that you see a lot of research for that this is light that you can see or not see you wouldn't see it no and that's you why see it. yeah so led you know when you hear about your eyes again it depends on the type of device you're using but um because you can't see the infrared you won't blink and so that's why the you know people say is it safe for using a class 3b so maximum 500 milliwatt powered laser um the only thing you can really mess up is you could damage somebody's eye um, if you stared at the laser. Not the LED, I'm talking the laser here. You could damage it just because you're, you don't blink and so you can damage the eye. But same thing, you know, if, if your patient finds your needle dish and sticks the needle in their eye, they're going to damage their eye as well. So, you know, the moral of the story is don't, don't stare at the laser. And there's protective glasses that patients can use. Now, the lasers that you use, generally speaking, do people need glasses for them or? The regulation is yes. The science will say that a lot of the lasers we're using, you probably don't need glasses, but the regulation says patient and doctor has to wear glasses when you're using these lasers. So the answer is yes for lasers and no for LEDs. No for LEDs. Yeah. I, I want to step back just a little bit more here. Because there's some terms that you're throwing out. I've kind of heard them, but I don't really understand them. I mean, we've just talked about wavelength, right? That has to do with color. There's different classes of lasers. I mean, I've heard this, but for our purposes as, as people in the healing trade, what are the classes we'd be interested in and, and how do these classes differ from each other? So class 3B is what I think we would be interested in for the therapeutic value. So there's class 1 up to class 4. Class 1 um, is super low. It's not going to do any help for you. That's the barcode at the grocery store. Class 2 also very weak. That's your pointer when you do a presentation. Class 3 is um, emitting a light below 5 milliwatts. 3R, I should say. 3B is laser emitting between 5 milliwatts to 500 milliwatts. And that's what you're seeing for most of the photobiomodulation and also low-level laser therapy. Same thing. Same, the, the scientific community has adopted photobiomodulation therapy, PBMT. Um, but if you Google LLLT, low-level laser therapy, a lot of stuff will show up. Um, and then class four is over 500 milliwatts. And those are used in surgery. And a lot of clinicians now are using the class four. Now, from the education I've received when I talk to many different manufacturers and practitioners, my understanding 
This is my interpretation. This is not law. That's what I'm, I'm prefacing. <laughs> I could change my mind as I learn more. But I think the manufacturers, especially here in the West, the idea is more power is better. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. And so I would say, I would recommend at this point in time in my practice, I like the class 3B maximum 500 milliwatt average power is what I'm recommending for a couple of reasons. Most of the research, that's what it's on. When we see a lot of the class four lasers talking about PBMT, low-level laser therapy, they're, they're saying we're using lasers. A lot of it's quoting the uh, photobiomodulation research with a class 3B laser, most of it at this place in time. You know, with the class four, you can burn the skin. You got to keep moving it a lot. And we know more is not necessarily better. Now, I'm sure there's appropriate times that you would need that as a clinician, but from a safety perspective, I love the class 3B because it's hard to hurt somebody. It's hard to injure somebody. With class 4, you can burn somebody. I gave a talk in Australia. One of my colleagues, uh, Lee, said, you said it's non-invasive. It's fairly safe. Um, I know somebody who was treating somebody who was being treated for bulbodynia, and um, she got burned. And I said that had to be a class 4 laser. That would not happen with a class 3B laser. So... For your listeners, class 3B, 5 to 500 milliwatts is what I'm comfortable with. It's what I, the most of the research I read is about. It's what I'm clinically have used. And the manufacturers constantly that contact me, a lot of them want me to go to this more power is more better. And I, I like the idea behind, um, because more is not always better. The, the reason they sell it to us as a practitioner, what they're saying is, hey, because it's all about energy, how much energy you're going to get to this tissue, right? And so, the, the joules, the energy is based on the power of the laser and how, and the time. And so as a practitioner, if you have a low power laser, then you need to spend more time in that area to get the therapeutic dose of energy there. And so what they thinking is let's play with numbers that you need 10 joules into this area. And with your laser you have now, you have to hold it for a minute, say, and you have several points you want to, want to treat. Well, we'll give you a more powerful laser. Now you only have to hold it for two seconds. Look how many more patients you can see. The two-second more powerful laser still adds up to 10 joules compared to the lower power laser for one minute. Both are 10 joules. So they're saying, look, you need 10 joules here. You can do it in two seconds versus a minute. Well, they're not. They're withholding some of the truth. The truth is that that point needs 10 joules, for example, that tissue. However, Think of the cooking analogy. If I put a turkey in the oven and I put it on high, I'm going to burn the outside and the inside is going to stay frozen. If I put it on low, it's never going to cook. So there is a certain temperature and time to get the right cooking of that turkey. Same thing for a tissue. Um, and that's where the research is lacking. There, people are not documenting all the variables that you need to replicate in your practice and replicate the study. So just saying it's 10 joules is not enough. What's the power? How much time? How'd you do? And all that will impact the therapeutic effects you're going to have. And so for people, because I get calls and we've created on our site on Healthy Seminars, a foundation course for lasers. And the reason is I'm getting calls and I'm still in that deep dive learning. And I want to speak to people that know more than I do. I'm in that. I want to learn. I don't want to teach about it. I want to learn about it. Most people that I'm a lot of people that have contacted me saying, I use lasers. I want to have a discussion. What I realize is they don't even know the power of the laser or the wavelength. 
And I don't understand how somebody in their clinic can use a laser without knowing the power wavelength. I don't know how you could get results and do it safely without knowing that. What I realized is a lot of people have lasers and the manufacturers said, do it this way or that way, but they don't really understand enough of the mechanism or the science behind it. And so we've created this foundation course for that reason. Just so now I say, take this course, then talk to me, because if you don't have the foundation down, it doesn't work. And it's no different in our industry, Michael, where people complain about other health professionals doing a weekend um, acupuncture course and are upset that people are doing acupuncture. It's another modality and it's powerful as in powerful. It is really therapeutic beneficial. It has the potential. You need a good laser and the more skilled you are, the better you're going to get results with it. And I do think we owe it to get the foundation down. And I've spent years learning this and now there's, I've seen many courses that are out there that teach the foundations. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. That's really helpful. I mean, one of the main reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you is because there are some fundamentals and I know I don't know them very well and trying to understand them in terms of therapeutic application, I found it to be a little bit difficult. I mean, it's easy to find, Oh, here, use this laser, use it in this way. Our company tells, you know, says you'll get good results, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's plenty of that out there, but in terms of coming at it in an entry level, Maybe we're buying one of those little lasers from, you know, our supply house, right? Those little things that almost look like a pen. Are they even effective? What do we actually have in our hands? And how can we even begin to think about them? And a lot, you know, it's a good question. So questions from colleagues. So I gave a talk at the Integrated Fertility Symposium. Um, I've done this around, around Canada, the States, Australia on just the mechanism behind the laser and talked a little bit about what you're asking. And I got a few calls from good friends, colleagues saying, is my laser any good? And so I say, again, what's your wavelength for power? And they tell me the power. And um, I say, you know, to, if you're using it on acupuncture points, you want to use it for pediatrics. I said, you know, you'd probably have to hold it 15 minutes per point to get the good jewels into that point. Um, And she said, 15 minutes, 
10 points. I don't have that much time to, with my patients. I go, yes, too little is too little, too much is too much. So hers was under power. So she said, what is my, you know, she goes, I spent $500 for this laser. What is it good for? And I said, do you ever do presentations? It's really good for shining on your, uh, on oh, your PowerPoint. No. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, you know, to make this useful for practitioners, because how I'm using it in my clinic is I'm using it like laser acupuncture and photobine modulation. So I'm combining the paradigms. And so if you want to use it as a purist, just like acupuncture, you probably can get away with, and you, so you just want to stimulate the acupuncture point. Um, and again, our course, we talk about this on our healthy seminar site, just the laser acupuncture aspect of it, because you can use it that way. You probably can get away with a red, red wavelength. The reason being is the points, most of them are fairly superficial, right? And so you don't need to go, you're not trying to hit the ovaries. You're not trying to hit the uh, subscapularis muscle. Like you're not, if you're not really worried about the target tissue, um, but just the energetic or the acupuncture point, then you can get away with red. You still need appropriate power because, um, and again, learning this from others, they often say like, four to 10 joules per most of the points in general. That's a general rule. Um, a half to two joules in the year based on the power of your laser would be how long you'd have to hold it. And so to put it this way, a 500 milliwatt laser, it's two seconds per joule. So if you wanted to do five joules on a point, that's 10 seconds. If your thing is only 50 milliwatts of power, then that, I said that was 10 seconds. Now that's a hundred seconds. So you're almost up to two minutes per point. So that's why the power means something for even the acupuncture points, how long you're going to do it. And some of the colleagues say, I've tried laser, didn't work. At the end of the treatment, and I did this at the beginning back in 2008 when people had pain, I would do my acupuncture treatment and then I'd come and spend a few seconds um, per point. And now I know why some people wouldn't have gotten results with that because I didn't put a therapeutic dose there. How I'm using it in my, and there's a window for the dose, by the way. It's not like it has to be like this, but there is a therapeutic range. There is a, a window where, and, and then I'll share how I'm doing it in my clinic because some people have asked, how are you using it? How are you combining it? So there are some people that use it just like acupuncture without needles. So they're just stimulating acupuncture points. You're probably good with a red laser and you probably want a 50 milliwatt to 500 milliwatt laser. I wouldn't go under 50 milliwatts for an acupuncture probe. However, there may be people using it. Again, I don't use it that way, so I can't give you clinical, like, this is the right way to do it. It's Arnschild's law. So this expression of too little is too little, too much is too much. You need the therapeutic dose or you're not going to get the biological effect, right? You're not going to have that impact, that therapeutic impact. And so you can be putting on laser. We have the, the stove on low with the turkey inside it. Nothing's cooking, right? So you could have too little energy, the power's too low, and you're just not going to get therapeutic results. Then there's a nice uh, Goldilocks window where you're getting good benefit. And then if you keep putting in the energy, you over, you're over treating or it's longer, you, the benefit starts to get decreased. You're still benefiting, but it's like the bell curve. You've gone up and you've peaked on the bell curve and now you're going down the bell curve. So you're actually better. You're, you're, you're having better uh, benefit with less time or, or less joules than you are by overtreating, and you can actually bioinhibit. So you can overtreat, um, and and a lot of the research for some of the especially superficial pain conditions, lateral epicondyle studies and stuff like that, 
some of the uh, people that are much brighter than I who analyze the research say that a lot of these recent studies where it didn't work is it was overtreated. So when you look at some of the laser studies after talking to clinicians that are, I've talked to clinicians, so how I've learned and talked to clinicians that have been doing this for years and researchers, when you see that the laser didn't work in certain conditions, either it was underpowered, the energy, or over too much. And then the dosaging is wrong. It doesn't work well once a week. You know, you you need to kind of get on top of it. Probably same idea a lot of practitioners know that if they can see their patients several times the first one or two weeks, kind of kickstart and get on top of it, then they can pull away the frequency of acupuncture and get much better results than just seeing them once a week for six weeks. Meaning if I saw somebody three times a week for two weeks, six treatments versus once a week for six weeks, same number of treatments, a lot of times you're going to see much better results in the three times a week, depending on the condition, twice a week. Same thing for laser. How much joules energy you're doing? What's your wavelength? Um, what's the time that you're doing? Um, what's the joules per centimeter squared? What's the milliwatt per centimeter squared? All these variables mean something, the total energy that you're putting in the area, and how often are you doing this on a weekly basis will impact your results. Um, so that part's important. So that's that bell curve. You could not, you could have a really weak laser and not have a therapeutic effect and you can treat too much and have and inhibit the effect. The good news is that windows quite can be quite generous. So it's, so it may not be depending on your laser. You, it's, you probably can't over treat and it's difficult to do that for these very deep tissues because it's hard wavelength. It can only go so deep in the body. And as it goes deeper, you're losing the energy greatly as it as it penetrates and, and scatters and gets blocked or absorbed by other tissue, I should say. There are some basics and some fundamentals in terms of power, dosage, uh, milliwattage. And if you know what those are and you know what tissues you're targeting, then you can put together a treatment that's probably going to be effective. But there's a little bit of math and there's a little bit of science that it would probably behoove the practitioner to know and understand so that they can make sure they're getting the correct dose to the right tissue. Exactly. And a lot of the manufacturers have created lasers that have programs so you can work off of their clinical experience. And, and so they have programs for certain tissue and stuff. So it's really good that there's several lasers out there that that have that. So it starts you off and then you learn and these more expensive lasers allow you that you can customize. So think of it like a, somebody that uses herbal formula. You could use a formula like Gui Pitong, right? You can take that herbal formula um, and that you know the patient has like the heart, blood and spleen chi deficiency and give them that formula. But you know there's other things going on, but you'll give them Gui Pitong. Or you could have your own pharmacy and you're going to give them the idea of Gui Tong, but you're going to remove certain herbs and add certain herbs so it's more customized. So that's with the laser. When I started out with our lasers, I was I chose my laser um, based on the support that the laser company offered. I checked out several lasers out there and I have two in my clinic and probably two types and I'm about to probably add a third type. And the one I chose, I think there were better lasers out there but they had the best programs built into the laser for me and they had the best support. So I needed that support that I could lean on them and discuss what I'm doing. And uh, they had the best um, um, educational to help out as well. So with the knowledge I have today, I'd probably buy a different laser because I don't need all that as much handholding, right? But I liked it that their laser, I could customize my treatments. And the patient affects it. 
their age, their skin color, all that stuff is um, how their body mass will affect that. So um, because certain cells of melanin, like so if you're darker skin, it will absorb more of that light. So it's not going to go deeper. Um, if you're tattooed, you got a sleeve and it's dark, I probably can't treat you. It's too painful. Um, the absorption is so fast and it feels like needles and burning. You know, that's when you start to play with the hertz, the frequency of the light and maybe you have to hold it off the skin. But now you're going to get some scattering because it's not next to the skin. But this is all the stuff. When somebody comes in and they're overweight, even though you know the laser association says, here's kind of your rule of thumb for this condition. If somebody's overweight or they're black, I know I got to modify what I'm giving in, in time and energy because of their body type. And the same thing goes as well for um, somebody's young versus old. Somebody's got very translucent, you know, or redhead, white, very white skin would use different light than somebody who's from uh, India with dark skin, for example. Yeah. You know, this is really where our Chinese medicine thinking makes so much sense and it really comes into play that it's not just about I'm going to deliver X dose to X tissue. I do want to deliver a dose to a certain tissue, but it all has to do with who the person is that's on the receiving end of it. That's that's also an important part of our calculation here. When I'm talking to Leon Hammer, I just read one of his uh, his new book series um, on um, contemporary oriental medicine concepts. He talks about, you know, that's the key. Who is your patient? Who are they? Like, you know, he always asks his questions. What are you doing to prevent yourself from getting well? How are you getting in your way? So he says it doesn't matter anything. It's that soul, that key aspect, getting to that soul nugget. That's when the healing and transformation begins. They come in with shoulder pain or diarrhea and we treat that. They get some resolution. But if you haven't cleared up that main issue of who they are on that core level, it's just going to show up somewhere else as something else. <laughs> so, so same thing with it's the fundamentals of Chinese medicine. And that's the beauty of a, somebody trained in Chinese medicine using lasers. When you start to think like a Chinese medicine doctor and realizing that everybody's an individual and everybody's unique. There's no two patients alike that you have a general idea of how to use this laser. Um, and as you get skilled with the laser and using your Chinese knowledge, you can modify and adjust your treatment accordingly. And there would be no different with the laser. Lauren, I cannot believe an hour has gone by already. I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface of this. It sounds like you have some resources for people if they want to go deeper into lasers. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll uh, start to wind this thing down for the day. Perfect. So if you want to learn as a practitioner, I would go to healthyseminars.com, and you can check out. Um, there's some lectures on there, and it will be growing. We're going to be adding because I'm, I'm constantly wanting to learn. So that's a good place to go and just look for some of the laser courses. Emails if you can't find them, and you can check them out there. They're on demand. Um, on my website, acubalance.ca, if you want to see some of the, you look at our blogs that we've done and you can look under the laser, you can just see how we, what we're treating and what we're putting up there as well. Um, and then I would, if you're looking for information on certain conditions, then I would Google LLLT plus the condition or photobiomodulation plus the condition. As I mentioned, the scientific community has adopted photobiomodulation as the appropriate term. However, um, a lot of the citations, it's you, you, a lot will come up with LLLT um, plus. Thanks again, Michael, for uh, taking the time to uh, 
just find out what I'm doing with lasers. I appreciate your interest. Lauren, the pleasure's all mine. Always a delight to speak with you and invigorating. You know, there's, there's like a, a long list of things I want to go check out now. So thanks again for your time. Perfect. Cheers. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.